I'm Lindsey Brown, and this week for Tom Hauser, former Governor Tim Pawlenty has made it official. He wants his old job back. Our politics in Minnesota, in the country, are too divided and they're too toxic. And I think I've got the strength and the experience to rise above that and bring people together to find constructive solutions and a better way forward uh, for Minnesota. Palenti announced he will run again for governor in 2018. This puts a candidate with high name recognition across the state into an already competitive race. Brandy Powell tells us the goals Palenti has laid out this time around. I have the strength and the experience to solve problems and bring us together. In a video message on YouTube, Tim Pawlenty announcing he's running for governor again in 2018. Why am I running? I want to finally put those in the middle first. It's a better way forward. Pawlenty separating his previous work from his new goals. And I'm going to hold big drug companies accountable for their role in the opioid crisis that's destroying lives. Let's stop hiding behind political correctness and make sure people getting government benefits are here legally. That's a no-brainer. And Palenti plans to hold schools accountable for better results, as well as lower health care premiums. He wants to turn the page and not make it an, uh, an election about his agenda of the past, but rather his agenda of the future. The Republican, who served as Minnesota's governor from 2003 to 2011, resigned earlier this year as CEO of the Financial Services Roundtable and now wants his old job back. Who could it potentially hurt most? Jeff Johnson has a real problem with the Pauletti candidacy. He no longer becomes the apparent front runner. But Johnson, also a Republican, saying Pawlenty's formal announcement doesn't change the race for him. Do you see that as a potential threat? I don't see it as a threat with respect to the endorsement. I feel very good about where we're at with the endorsement, and so I will continue to keep my head down to win that. And then if he decides he needs to force a primary, so be it. We'll just. We'll have to deal with that when it comes. And what are Democrats saying? Well, DFL party chairman Ken Martin says in part, quote, Minnesota needs a governor who will fight for everyday families. That's not Tim Pawlenty. As governor, he deprived thousands of Minnesotans of affordable health care. He jeopardized our children's education. Pawlenty failed our state. In the newsroom, Brandy Powell, 5 Eyewitness News. In addition to Pawlenty and Johnson, former state GOP chair Keith Downey and Woodbury Mayor Mary Giuliani Stevens are running for the Republican endorsement. Congressman Tim Waltz, State Auditor Rebecca Otto, and State Representative Aaron Murphy remain in the race on the Democratic side. Both parties will endorse a candidate during their state conventions in June. Minnesota candidates for U.S. Senate and House have to report their latest fundraising totals later this week. But one former candidate might still have more money than any of them. Former Senator Al Franken was a prolific fundraiser, not only for his own campaign, but for fellow Democrats as well. He was gearing up for a re-election bid in 2018 until he resigned and left office in January. But as Tom Hauser explains, he still has a pile of campaign cash. As I've had the privilege of serving the people of Minnesota, I've also... The fall of former Senator Al Franken was swift and politically breathtaking. One of the most popular Democrats in the U.S. Senate resigned in the face of an ethics investigation regarding allegations of sexual harassment. I will be resigning as a member of the United States Senate. Before his resignation, Franken was on his way to raising millions of dollars for his own campaign and for his fellow Democrats. It's really hard to find 
a case quite like Al Franken's. When Franken left office in early January, he still had nearly $3.2 million cash on hand for his planned 2018 re-election bid. And the Midwest Values PAC he founded still has more than $1.1 million cash on hand. He could transfer funds to other candidates, but with Franken's image tainted by scandal, don't bank on it. Al Franken's money is radioactive. If he gave it to the Democratic Party, it's likely that the party would give it to a charity rather than to a candidate. They just don't want to touch Franken money. U of M political analyst Larry Jacobs says there are several options for Franken. He could donate to other campaigns, again, if anyone would accept it. He can use some for final expenses related to winding down his office operations. He could donate to charity or legally keep it in the bank indefinitely. What he can't use it for is his personal uh, use. He can't use it for his family or to, to build an additional onto his house. But he could use it for a charity or perhaps to set up a foundation of some sort. Now, it's not unusual for politicians who leave office either voluntarily or involuntarily to hang on to their campaign funds for long periods of time. In some cases, they improve their image until they can make a political comeback or are better able to donate to charities or other candidates. We have been unable to reach former Senator Franken for comment on this. A state Supreme Court race in Wisconsin got an unusually high amount of attention this week. Normally, the candidates are nonpartisan. Rebecca Dallet, who is backed by Democrats, defeated her Republican-backed opponent, Michael Scrinock, on Tuesday. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker said on Twitter this week that the state is now at risk of a blue wave. Some political experts say Dallet's victory could be an indicator for what could happen with midterm elections in November. Minnesota taxpayers are paying the price for some major computer software glitches. And we're not talking about licensing and tabs this time. A new software package was supposed to launch this week, but that's been pushed back. As Jay Coles tells us, what was meant to be a money saver is turning into another issue for the state's IT department. This all centers on Minnesota health care programs. The new software Minute is building for the Department of Human Services is supposed to weed out people who do not qualify for those programs. The goal is to save taxpayers money, but the losses from the software problem could add up in a hurry. How much has this cost taxpayers in lost savings? In lost savings, uh, about $138 million in this biennium alone. State Senator Michelle Benson chairs the Human Services Committee and tells me the lost savings caused by the delayed launch goes beyond taxpayers. So money that could have been left with taxpayers, money that could have been used to help our elderly in nursing homes or disabled who might need more supports, but money that's going to people who aren't eligible, um, shameful. I sat down with the two people who run Minute and the Department of Human Services. Both admitted there is a problem with the software program. We would be doing a disservice to Minnesota citizens if I allowed a project to roll out that is not at the function it needs to be at. Acting Human Services Commissioner Chuck Johnson says his agency budgeted for those savings. But without those savings coming in, taxpayers will have to cover it through the state's general fund. We really need to balance um, the loss of those savings with ensuring that we're rolling a program out, that the counties are prepared to handle it, that there aren't any defects in, in the code. Should taxpayers have confidence in minutes still? Absolutely they should. Look at the 376 other projects that are going well. Jay Coles, 5 Eyewitness News. The Department of Human Services says it paid Minute $2 million to do this project. Minute says it hopes to have the computer glitches fixed sometime in July. 
Minnit has also come under fire for software problems with MinLars, the state's licensing and registration system. Outside investigators were hired to look into the troubles. The report focuses on Chief Business Technology Officer Paul Meekin. Investigators found Meekin failed in his oversight of the $90 million system. Meekin has since been fired from the agency. The legislature just approved $10 million to fix MinLars, but the governor wants an additional $33 million. And if that wasn't enough, a state lawmaker is criticizing Minnit's decision to spend $2.5 million to remodel its offices after problems with MinLars surfaced. They need more money. They need more money. They don't have enough money. In the meantime, they're using $2, $3 million to redo the cubicles. And so, obviously, they have the money. These are photos showing part of the office work. Minnit says it will allow them to fit more workers in these areas and will save taxpayers money by not having to lease additional office space. But Senator Mary Kiffmeyer disagrees. We wanted to keep the focus on fixing MinLars. That was the most critical thing for Minnesotans. A Minnit spokesperson tells us it would be illegal for the agency to use funding from services it provides to all agencies to fund work on one specific project, like MinLars. Kivmeyer tells us she plans to call Minnit leaders before her oversight committee once lawmakers return from their Easter break. 2018 is going to be a big year for road work in Minnesota. MnDOT says it expects to spend $1.1 billion on 253 road and bridge projects this year. Some of those projects have already started, actually. That includes the I-35W project at I-94. It consists of noise barriers, bridge replacements, and improvements for transit on 35W and Lake Street. They're also installing MinPass lanes to help with congestion. That's a big project that'll be impacting people not only this season, but for a few seasons to come. Some other projects planned will be on Highway 169. The Bell Plain section will have new and repaired concrete, a new intersection and cable medium barriers between Jordan and Bell Plain. At Champlain, the Elm Creek bridges will be replaced. 169 will be a realigned between the Mississippi River and East Hayden Lake Road with the pedestrian bridge at West River Road, among other projects. Up next, Brian McDaniel and Amber Reichshock Young will be here for political analysis. And some big changes could be coming to the way hunting and fishing licenses are issued in Minnesota. Why some shop owners have concerns about their bottom line and your personal data. The Minnesota DNR is modernizing its computer system that issues hunting and fishing licenses. The DNR says it will save taxpayers $1.5 million per year. But as Tom Hauser reports, some retailers say the savings might come at their expense. Last year, the Big Marine Lake Store in Scandia sold more than 2,200 hunting and fishing licenses. But providing that service isn't much of a moneymaker. The store only gets $1 per transaction. All of them done over an electronic licensing system computer provided to them free of charge by the Department of Natural Resources. Now they want us to buy equipment and pay, you know, for computer equipment, which might be $500. That was essentially the message in a letter from the DNR that store owner Pat Reichertz received this week. The letter says they plan to phase out the ELS computers and have retailers like Reichertz provide their own equipment. It's all part of a plan to modernize the hunting and fishing license system. You knew they were modernizing the system. Yes. You didn't know it was going to... No, I didn't think it was going to be our dime on the whole thing. Our dime, our liability for, you know, data theft. You know, there's, all, there's a lot that goes along with it. Seems kind of unfair to you. Very much so. A spokesman for the DNR says the new system is still in the design phase. 
and in an email to Five Eyewitness News said, quote, We value the role agents play in selling licenses to hunters and anglers. If they have concerns, we'd love to hear from them. In addition to the cost, store owners worry about the security of customers' personal information being routed through personal computers at these bait shops. The DNR says security will be one of their highest priorities as they continue to design the new system. Time now for political analysis. We're joined by former DFL state senator Ember Reichkot Young and Republican strategist Brian McDaniel. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Big news this week Tim Pawlenty, former governor, running for governor again in 2018. What does this do for the race overall? What does it mean for the people who've already said, hey, I'm running too? Well, I mean, it changes things significantly on the Republican side. You know, he's getting in very late in the game, so I'm not even quite sure how I would handicap his ability to get the endorsement. But, you know, if he is running in a primary, he would have a significant monetary advantage, a significant uh, name ID advantage, and, you know, frankly, he's just good at what he does. So, I want your perspective on this. Well, it shakes up the race totally. As far as Democrats go, well, Tim Pawlenty is going to be a very helpful candidate to run against. He'll start out with high name recognition. That will, will occur. But his record is going to define him no matter what he says, no matter how much he focuses on the future. And his record of deficits, of cutting health care, not doing what much for education, is going to follow him into that election. Plus, he has a problem with the Trump base as well. So he's not a very strongly positioned candidate. Okay, remind me, I want to get back to his record in just a second. First, though, we do have some sound from Palenti when he met with voters in the media Friday. He talked about why he was getting in and that he actually spoken with some of the other GOP candidates prior to that. Let's listen. When I met with Jeff and Keith last uh, year and there's some other candidates in the race too but they weren't you know running back then I said look I, I don't necessarily need to run if one of you can get some momentum get some traction raise some money and show that you could be a winning candidate in Minnesota I'll support one of you uh, but that hasn't happened. Well, Brian, that's revealing. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you know, this has been something he's been talking about, and we knew he was thinking yeah, about it. Absolutely. But just hearing him say that, obviously, he felt it was time. Well, and, that, and he's not being disingenuous at all. Any of us who talked to him, you know, before he announced, this is this is what he was saying. He didn't have to do this. He doesn't have to do this at all. And frankly, I'm surprised he wants to do this. But it's real. It really does come from a genuine place of public service. I think we're all a little upset on how government is being run on the state and national level in a lot of ways, and he's looking to come back and br you know, bring some balance to it. Amber, you mentioned um, Palenti's background, what issues he may or may not have with the Trump base. Brian, I wanted to let you weigh in on that. On the Trump base, yeah. I mean, I think that Tim Pawlenty was not known as an extraordinarily conservative governor, though he was a hardliner on not raising taxes. I would say that's something that helps him with Minnesotans. We're not a far-right state. We're not a far-left state. He, right in the middle, which is where Tim Pawlenty is on a lot of issues. We don't really know where he is because when he ran for president, he went far to the right. So depending on where he was in the particular time, he'll, he'll change or... Yeah, I have a feeling we'll find out soon. Yes. All right, let's talk about $4 million left over in Franken's account. It's leftover fundraising and PAC money. Who wants this money? Who will take it? Is it tainted? Let's start well, with you, Brian. I think, I think it, it, you know, tainted is a very loaded word. I think that it does come with a lot of strings, um, which won't be attractive to a lot of people. I think uh, Senator Franken's problem the, what, that led to him, him resigning was not a political one. So I think that this money can do a lot of good in a non-political way. I hope he looks at nonprofits and charities and things of that nature. Ember? 
Well, as one who thinks he should not have resigned in the first place, I do not see that that is tainted money. That came from friends and people who share his values. And so if it goes to other candidates who share his values or nonprofits that share his values, I think that is a really good use for the money. All right, quickly, the legislative session, they are off for Easter break. We're just all the way through, halfway through the session. What are the big priorities you see our legislators getting to? Well, I think that they're definitely trying to make government work, and you saw this today with about talking about Min Lars and all the problems with Minute. I think that they hope to do a bonding bill, and you know, there's a constitutional amendment for uh, bringing more transportation funding. Ember. Well, bonding bills should be the top priority. We haven't seen any of that yet, ironically. But I think the other top priority has to be to fix this tax situation where we're going to have real troubles. And a lot of Minnesotans are going to be paying more taxes this next year because of the federal uh, tax bill. It's a big issue. All right, thank thanks to the both of you. And up next, Mike Erlinson and Annette Meeks will be here for Face Off. We'll be talking about Trump, trade, and tariffs and how that's impacting Minnesota farmers when we come back. Ongoing threats of tariffs between the U.S. and China have many Minnesota farmers on edge. President Trump and China went back and forth this week, threatening to slap tariffs on billions of dollars worth of goods, everything from crops to electronics. Two of Minnesota's biggest exports are on that list. We're talking pork and soybeans. Minnesota is the third largest soybean producing state in the U.S., according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And in 2016, Minnesota exported $717 million worth of pork across the globe. So anything that disrupts that export um, or has a chance to, to lower the price of the products that we receive in the international market obviously affects our business and our ability to be profitable in the future. Lawmakers that chair agriculture committees in the House and Senate are urging the Trump administration to support trade policies that support Minnesota farmers. Time now for Face Off. We're joined this week by former DFL Party Chair Mike Erlinson, also Annette Meeks from the Freedom Foundation of Minnesota. Thanks to, have, to, you, to you both for being here with us. All right, talks of a trade war. Is it time to panic? We're still at that point where conversations and negotiations are going on. Where do you think we stand? Well, I think it's not time to panic. I think it's time to negotiate. But we know a couple things. China cheats. They steal our technology. They do a lot of different things that are really a disservice to many American corporations. And so Trump is finally going to hold them accountable for stealing our technology, stealing uh, trade secrets, trade cheating, they cheat, and it's time we hold them accountable. And, and we need to do so in, in very complex negotiations. Well, Mike, do you think this is just um, the President Trump's negotiating tool, or do you think we actually get to a trade war? Well, um, he seems to want to start at trade war instead of start at negotiating, right? I mean, he's sort of, his tactics tend to be a little bit more like the bully in the school playground. And, you know, whether you want to be a bully with a country the size of China uh, and the China size of China's economy is a dangerous thing, right? And the sad part about it is it will have a direct impact, as you pointed out in the package, on Minnesota, Minnesota's economy, farmers, you know, people living in the state of Minnesota. And, you know, so the, the way to start this is to say, okay, we are going to put X number of sanctions in place if you don't do X, Y, and Z, right, to some of them. That's very points about stealing technology or whatever it might be. That's not what they did. Matter of fact, he didn't barely let the first round of sanctions go into place before he lobbed in another 300 million in sanctions because they actually countered, which I think we would have expected that they would have countered. Let's go back in time. 
over a year now. This was obviously a campaign promise. This is something President Trump has been talking about. Do you think Americans are on his side on this? I really think they are. I think people are tired. You know, we treat China like they're some backwards country. China is a first world country in anybody's estimation. A trade war with China is going to hurt the Chinese people and the Chinese manufacturers as much as it hurts the U.S. That's why I think he's trying to drag them kicking and screaming to the table. Because up until now, no one's held them accountable. All right, Mike, we talked about the pork and the soybeans. Other than those two big exports, how do you think it could hurt us? If there is a trade war. Well, I mean, you know, obviously it's having an impact on the stock market today. Anybody that would log on to their little thing to look at their IRA will see that it's worth less today, right? I mean, he uh, was the, the president drove down all the tech stocks over the last uh, week or so, too, by attacking Amazon, right? I mean, again, he, he does these attacks in 140 characters or less, and then he kind of moves uh, on to the next subject. And, you know, he actually had the Secretary of Agriculture uh, say this week to farmers, don't worry, we will backfill, pay you for anything that you lose as a result of these sanctions, right? And so I don't know if this is the uh, fiscally responsible uh, president of the United States of America saying, you know, no matter what the cost of the tariffs might be, we will backfill it by putting more de debt on the American people. That's silly. Some would say that's what you get from a populist, and you just have to watch and see what happens. Let's talk about immigration. President Trump this week saying he would send National Guard members to the Mexico-U.S. border. Where do you think this is going to, how does this work with Americans? Well, again, it's one of the things he promised. It's one of the things people really support. Secure our borders. It's a basic, uh, basic first things you do as President of the United States. It's something President Obama did. It's something President Bush did before him. I think it's an important thing, and we've seen an increase in illegals flowing across the border in the last few months. I think he's saying enough. We're going to secure it with our National Guard, and I think it's a prudent thing. Now, Mike, um, President Trump says DACA is over. Do you think that is the case, or is it just another part of this debate? <laughs> well, I, I hope not, right? I mean, because what DACA is was a, 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 a thing that allowed children that were born in this country, that knew no other country to stay here and live here, and we're going to talk about sending these people out of the country. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That's mean. Right, it's again. nowhere near over. Right. This is just oh, right. Nothing's ever over in Washington. Right. We've learned that. Absolutely. Thank you, too, very much. <laughs> Up next, a look at some of the new foods you can eat if you go to Target Field for this twin season. It's here. Baseball is back at Target Field. And if you're going to a Twins game, you better bring your appetite and probably some cash. Here are some of the new foods you can check out this season. Here is a brunch Bloody Mary. Look at this. Complete with a cheeseburger and an egg and ham sandwich. Yeah. There's also frozen hot chocolate at Andrew Zimmern's Canteen. It's white chocolate ice cream with hot chocolate bites on top. Or check out the new dining area called Bat and Barrel. It features a variety of food and beer options. Bat and Barrel is replacing the Metropolitan Club and is open to all ticket holders. That is all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.